Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the disappearance of Linda Rizell. But first, your true crime headlines. The case of a black man who died following a party in rural Kansas more than 16 years ago has finally been ruled a homicide after his body was exhumed as federal authorities investigate his death as a possible hate crime. 23-year-old Alonzo Brooks disappeared after attending a party near Lacine, Kansas in May of 2004. His family later found his body in a creek near where the party was held. The FBI said Monday that a new autopsy on the body concluded that the cause of death was homicide. Brooks's body was exhumed last year from a Topeka cemetery and transported to Dover Air Force Base for an examination. The FBI said the new autopsy focused on injuries to parts of Brooks's body that the examiner concluded are inconsistent with normal patterns of decomposition. The FBI reopened the investigation in 2019 and offered a $100,000 reward for information. Federal authorities now believe that Brooks's death may have been racially motivated. He was one of only three black people at a party attended by about 100 people at a farm near Lacine. Acting U.S. Attorney Dustin Slinkard said in a news release, quote, We knew that Alonzo Brooks died under very suspicious circumstances. This new examination by a team of the world's best forensic pathologists and experts establishes it was no accident. Alonzo Brooks was killed. We are doing everything we can and will spare no resources to bring those responsible to justice. FBI special agent in charge Timothy Langan said, quote, The FBI's commitment to justice remains at the forefront of each and every investigation. Our reach is broad, and the strength of our investigative tools are exceptional. We remain dedicated to uncovering the truth surrounding the murder of Alonzo Brooks and ensuring those responsible are held accountable for their actions. A mother in Texas stands accused of killing her six-year-old son for the insurance money. 25-year-old Ashley Marks took out two life insurance policies on her six-year-old son before giving him lethal doses of medications and over-the-counter drugs that prosecutors say caused him frightening hallucinations before he died. Prosecutors with the Harris County District Attorney's Office allege that Marks repeatedly drugged her son in June. The boy's grandfather, Adam Marks, told Houston police that after Ashley had given her son medicine, his grandson started hallucinating and, quote, believed there were bugs on his clothing, and that the boy, quote, became scared. The grandfather told police that when he told his daughter of the hallucinations her son had after taking his medicine, she instructed him to give him more. He told police he did not comply. The boy and his sister were living with their grandfather at the time of his death. Adam Marks told police that his daughter gave her son more medicine, NyQuil, a few hours before he died. According to the manufacturer, NyQuil should not be given to children under 12 years old. An autopsy ruled the boy's death a homicide 
after finding toxic amounts of methamphetamine, cocaine, and various antihistamines, according to court records. About a month before his death, Ashley Marks took out two life insurance policies, each worth $50,000 for her son, of which she was the sole beneficiary. Marks is a licensed insurance agent. Ashley Marks has been charged with capital murder and is being held without bond. Wisconsin authorities have identified the remains of a homicide victim discovered in 1978. The State Department of Justice announced Thursday that the remains are that of 29-year-old Dennis Regan McCann. McCann went missing from Kenosha in 1977. He was last seen leaving his home. In August of 1978, a group of loggers called the police after they discovered a human skull while working in the remote woods of Jackson County. His remains had been in the area for several months. An additional search by authorities recovered his vertebrae. Ten feet away, investigators found garbage bags, twist ties, masking tape, chains, and an earring. The DOJ and the Jackson County Sheriff's Department identified the remains with the help of the DNA Doe Project, a nonprofit organization formed to identify deceased people using forensic genealogy. The DNA Doe Project received assistance from the International Commission on Missing Persons in The Hague for DNA extraction. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, the disappearance of Linda Rizell. But first, a quick break. If you have 30 free minutes, you never have to worry about a break-in at home ever again. That's how quick and easy it is to set up a security system from Simply Safe. It's the kind of thing that's so easy to do, you can do it during a Netflix binge, watching the game, or say, listening to a certain podcast. Simply Safe Home Security delivers award-winning 24/7 protection. With Simply Safe, you don't just get an arsenal of cameras and sensors. You get the best professional monitors in the business. They've got your back day and night, ready to send police, fire, or EMTs when you need them most straight to your door. Simply Safe arrives to your house in about a week which means that if you order now, by this time next week, you and your whole family can go to bed knowing your home is being guarded. Simply Safe is incredibly easy to customize for your home. Just go to simplysafe.com/murderminute and choose the exact sensors that you need or get help from one of their experts. There's no long-term contract, no hidden fees or installation costs. Go to simplysafe.com slash murderminute today to customize your system and get a free security camera. That's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash murderminute. You'll also get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. Visit simplysafe.com slash murderminute for your free security camera today. That's simplysafe.com slash Murder Minute. Whether I'm taking a walk around my neighborhood, 
running errands, or venturing out on my own. I always want to feel safe. That's why I never leave the house without my birdie. Birdie is a personal safety alarm designed to be easy to carry and simple to use. When you activate your birdie with a quick pull, the alarm will emit a loud 130 decibel siren and flashing strobe light to help deter an attack. Unlike pepper spray or other deterrents, Birdie is no danger to you. Birdie goes wherever you do. The alarm comes in multiple colors and has a brass keychain so that you can attach it to your keys or your bag. I have one Birdie on my keys, one in my apartment, and one in my car. And I'm giving a Birdie to every woman I know. Over 300,000 Birdie alarms have been sold and they have thousands of five-star reviews. Join the flock today for a safer tomorrow. Right now, She's Birdie is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase when you go to she'sbirdie.com slash murderminute. Go to she's birdie spelled S-H-E-S-B-I-R-D-I-E dot com slash murderminute for 15% off. That's she'sbirdie.com slash murderminute. Welcome back to Murder Minute. On the morning of March 19th, 2002, 41-year-old Linda Rizal was running late for work. Linda was a recently separated mother of four who was working as a learning support assistant at Swindon College in Wiltshire, England. She usually left her home in Highworth at around 8.40 a.m., to make the six-mile commute to Swindon. But on this Tuesday morning, Linda left 10 to 15 minutes later than usual. But despite the rush, Linda was in an unusually good mood. She dropped her boyfriend, Greg Worrell, off at work in Highworth, took the kids to school, and drove to work. At around 9 a.m., Linda parked her red Ford Escort on Albuscott Road, a small residential side street in Swindon. But Linda Rizal never made it to work. She walked away from her car and was never seen or heard from again. At 6.24 p.m., Linda's 14-year-old daughter called her mother's boyfriend, Greg Mom wasn't home, and she'd never turned up to collect her younger siblings after school. When they realized that she also never made it to work, Greg called the police and reported Linda Rizal missing. Once they were all back at home, the children began texting their mother. All we want is for you to come home, one message read. But if you feel like you can't, that's fine. Linda didn't reply. At 1 a.m. on March 20th, police arrived at the home of Linda's estranged husband, Glenn Rizal. Linda and Glenn met on a train in 1979, when Linda was just 19 and Glenn was 20. Linda was originally from Wales. Her mother 
died when she was just eight years old, and she had been raised by relatives. At the time that Linda met Glenn, she was studying French and Italian at Reading University. Four years later, in 1984, the couple married. Four more years later, in 1988, their first child, a daughter, was born. Three more soon followed, two boys and another girl, born in 1991, 95, and 97. But theirs was not a happy marriage. Linda's mental health suffered. And as a result, she never pursued a career. Glenn supported the family as an investment market manager, and Linda took care of the children. In 1998, when the Rizels decided to extend their home to accommodate their growing family, Linda began having an affair with one of the builders. Glynn also began an affair soon after. And in August of 2000, the couple separated. Glynn moved out of the family home, and Linda started divorce proceedings. The children stayed with her, and a bitter custody battle ensued. In 2001, Linda began a relationship with Greg Worrell, who at the time was the husband of one of her friends, while 40-year-old Glenn began dating Rachel Smith, a co-worker 20 years his junior. Linda twice alleged during their acrimonious divorce proceedings that Glenn had assaulted her during their marriage. Once for repeatedly hitting her head against a window at her home, which Glenn denied and again for grabbing Linda during a heated argument, causing her to fall through a glass door, injuring them both. Both times, Glynn was charged and acquitted. At the end of 2001, Glynn lost his job at Zurich Financial Services, and his child support payments to Linda stopped. In early spring of 2002, divorce proceedings were still dragging on, but it was expected to be over by July. Linda would get the house, as well as around 30,000 pounds, equivalent to around $41,000. Once the divorce was final, Linda and Greg planned to marry. On March 15th, Four days before Linda's disappearance, Linda got a court order freezing Glenn's bank accounts due to non-payment of child support. Glenn's solicitor advised him to go back to court as soon as possible to try to unfreeze his accounts. Glenn had been planning to go with some friends on a cross-channel booze cruise to France for a couple of days. But after Linda froze his accounts, he was forced to cancel. Glenn's friends were going to stock up on wine and cheese, and since Rizel's Ford Galaxy was the largest of their vehicles and had more room for storage, the group had intended to use it for their trip. Glenn agreed to let them take it anyway, and swapped it for a friend's silver Renault Laguna while they went to France without him. It was this vehicle that 
Glenn's borrowed Renault Laguna that he would have been driving on the day of Linda's disappearance. But when police searched the car that night, they found nothing. Police searched Glenn's residence as well, but found no sign of Linda. No hairs, fibers, or blood were found on his clothing or in his home. Police even removed the waste traps from his bath and sinks, looking for signs that Glynn may have washed away evidence, but found nothing. At 8.24 that morning, Glynn's phone records indicated that he had received a call on his landline. It was his girlfriend telling him that she had arrived at work. Linda usually parked her car at about 8.50 a.m in order to reach work at nine. In morning traffic, it would have taken Glenn, who lived approximately three miles away, at least 15 minutes to reach Albuscott Road, where Linda parked. Difficult, but not impossible. Glenn insisted that he didn't know Linda's work schedule and would have no way of knowing where she parked. According to Glenn, He had taken the Renault Laguna to refill it with petrol that morning, returned home, and after receiving the call from his girlfriend, went for a walk. Police reviewed the tapes of traffic cameras from 25 different points along the route to Alvescott Road. But Glenn Rizel's borrowed Renault Laguna was on none of them. There was also no evidence of an abduction at the site of Linda's disappearance. Only Linda's mobile phone was found discarded in the alleyway where she usually walked through on the way to work. The undamaged light blue Nokia phone was found half-tucked underneath a piece of wood amongst builder's debris. Investigators remarked that it was in an unusual position, as if It had been deliberately placed there, rather than dropped during a struggle. At that time in the morning, the area where Linda parked was busy with children walking to school and commuters on their way to work, but no one saw or heard anything that would raise alarms. One witness came forward who saw a woman matching Linda's description, quote, walking fast and looking flustered. The witness said that they got the impression that she was, quote, nervous. But if this witness was correct, then by the time they saw Linda, she had walked safely through the roadway. As police pieced together Linda's movements in the days leading up to her disappearance, Glenn Rizal and Linda's boyfriend Greg Worrell released photos of Linda to the public and went on television pleading that witnesses come forward. Police searched over 200 locations using divers, heat-seeking equipment, and search and cadaver dogs in and around the Swindon area, but there was no trace of Linda. Glenn Rizal believed that Linda may have simply run off In the days after her disappearance, several witnesses did report possible sightings of Linda Rizal, 
one of them a close friend. I saw her most days, she told the guardian, usually just to say hello, but sometimes we had a longer chat. The morning after Linda's disappearance, at about 11.15 a.m., she saw Linda driving a silver Ford Fiesta. I thought, oh, it's Linda. Good for her. She's got a new car. I made eye contact. She didn't need to turn her head to see me. I thought that she looked cross and wasn't happy to see me. Even knowing what I know now, I am sure it was Linda. Five other sightings placed Linda in her native South Wales. On the morning of her disappearance, Linda left her college identity badge at home. She also left behind her second mobile phone. Linda had two. The second was only used to contact her children. On the calendar at home, there was a question mark against the 19th, the day of her disappearance. An item on her to-do list read, collect travel tickets. And the day before her disappearance, Linda withdrew cash at three different banks. Perhaps she did intend to disappear. A month after Linda vanished, on her 42nd birthday, her four children, who were aged between 5 and 14 years old, wrote their mother a card. Mom, we love you, it read. Come home safely. But Linda never did. As the investigation continued, police kept coming back to Glenn. Glynn told them that he had been wearing different clothing on the morning of Linda's disappearance to those which he was seen wearing on CCTV footage from the petrol station. Given that Glynn had also twice been accused of violence against Linda and the two had been going through a bitter divorce, investigators were suspicious. They decided to re-examine the car that Glynn had been using on the 19th. So the Renault Laguna was retained for forensic examination twice more. On their second examination, investigators vacuumed the vehicle and kept the contents for forensic analysis. On the third examination, conducted a week after Linda's disappearance, forensic investigators used the chemical luminol. Luminol is used to detect trace amounts of blood at crime scenes which may not be visible to the naked eye. Luminol exhibits chemiluminescence as it reacts with the iron in hemoglobin, producing a blue glow which can be seen in a dark room for approximately 30 seconds. On their third examination, investigators found traces of Linda's blood in the trunk of the car on top of the rear seats and on the passenger floor mat. On Wednesday, May 15, 2002, Glenn was arrested and taken to Wesley Police Station for questioning. On Friday, May 17, 2002, he was charged 
with murder. At his trial in October of 2003, the prosecution argued that Glynn had abducted and murdered Linda as she arrived for work, describing him as a, quote, methodical man who planned everything in advance and was a good chess player. Glynn's defense argued that with no body, there was no proof that Linda Rizal was, in fact, dead. I suggest you killed your wife for the two oldest reasons there are, the prosecution said. Money and a younger woman who you were in love with. That's right, isn't it? No, Glynn replied. That is not right. Glynn Rizal stuck to his story that on the morning of Linda's disappearance, he had filled the car with petrol, returned home, received a phone call from his girlfriend at 8.24 a.m., and then gone for a long walk. CCTV cameras confirmed that Glenn had gone to the petrol station, and phone records placed him at home at 8.24 a.m. But the walk was another story. Though the prosecution couldn't prove that he drove the Renault Laguna to Albuscott Road, Glenn Rizal still couldn't provide an alibi after the morning phone call. Glenn told investigators that on his walk that morning, he had walked past Wesley Police Station. There are CCTV cameras outside, he told them. So you will be able to verify what I'm saying. But the police said that the cameras were not working. Glenn's defense argued that there was no way for him to have known that the cameras were not functioning when he made the claim. At trial, I produced photographs showing those cameras outside the police station. Robbie Ross, Glenn Rizal's solicitor, recalled to The Guardian. They were pointing straight at where Rizal would have walked past. I don't think anyone in their right mind would have claimed they walked past if they hadn't. Glynn's defense argued that Linda was likely still alive and noted that she had been seen by her own friend the day after her disappearance. There were six eyewitnesses, all of whom thought they had seen her and contacted the police as a result, Ross recalled. The Crown couldn't knock them. None had an axe to grind. They were all very, very credible. But the prosecution dismissed the sightings, saying that the witnesses had simply been mistaken. Glenn Rizal maintained his innocence. He suggested that Linda left to start a new life, that either she, a friend, or the police had planted her blood in the car between the second and third examinations of the vehicle after it had been returned to the owner. Basically, he was framed. The jury wasn't convinced. On November 14, 2003, after six hours' deliberation, the jury returned their verdict. Glenn Rizal was convicted of murder. He was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum term of 16 years. During his sentencing at Bristol Crown Court, 
Judge Christopher Pitchers told Glenn Rizell, quote, You deprived four young children of their mother. A dreadful loss that cannot be imagined. Detective Chief Inspector Paul Granger said after the trial, quote, I don't think Rizell will tell us where the body is, and if he does, it will not be for a long time. He is an evil, cold, calculated, and intelligent man. But he made mistakes, and that is how he ended up getting caught. Over the years, Glynn has attempted to appeal his conviction, but failed. He has never changed his story. In 2004, Glynn's then 24-year-old girlfriend, Rachel Smith, offered a reward to anyone who could prove that Linda was still alive. I am offering 5,000 pounds of my own money because I think it will bring people forward who may know something about Linda's whereabouts, she said. There is no evidence to suggest she is dead. I think she planned her getaway and intended to frame Glenn. There is no doubt in my mind that he is innocent. The best way of proving that is to find Linda. In 2005, Linda Rizell was declared legally dead at an inquest. In October 2012, a possible new suspect emerged when Christopher Halliwell, a taxi driver from Swindon, was sentenced to life in prison after pleading guilty to the murder of two Swindon women. The lead detective on the case, Stephen Fulcher, believes that Halliwell has killed other women, including Linda Rizell. According to Fulcher, the two knew each other because Halliwell did building work for the Rizels. A 2017 BBC documentary, Convicted Murder in Suburbia, which examined the Rizell case, investigated the claim. But while Halliwell did work in the construction trade in Swindon, there was no proof supporting the rumors of a connection between Linda and Halliwell, nor did they find proof of life for Linda Rizell. Like Linda, her four children were sent to live with relatives after the loss of their mother. Linda's family do not believe that she is still alive, and her children have never doubted that their father murdered their mother. Glenn Rizell has served his minimum sentence. He is now eligible for parole. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Stereo at Murder Minute.